The Therapist, and I interview real people with real problems, no small talk. So I've been a yoga practitioner on and off since 1999. I was an ex-gymnast, so I was always drawn to the flexibility aspect of it. I thought it seemed really cool and kind of acrobatic. And I was also fascinated with the spirituality kind of new agey component of it, even though at the time I had absolutely no idea what that meant. Fast forward to years later, I started my own spiritual journey and started to come into my own deeper connection of what a higher power means to me. And eventually I did get certified to teach yoga here in Los Angeles. Now, I remained distant from a lot of the yoga and spiritual community as I found that many of the teachers seemed ungrounded and kind of disconnected from their centers. Now, the stereotype of the spiritual yet spacey yoga instructor does exist for a reason, and I found that a lot of the community seemed to almost be seeking an escape. It was as if, yes, they had these bodies, but they weren't inhabiting, inhabiting them, and they were their, their spirits were elsewhere. It didn't feel grounding to me, and, and it scared me. Now, I have also, as I've become deeper and deeper connected to kind of a source energy, if you will, struggled with what is that balance between feeling that connection, which I think is integral uh, as part of the healing process, but how do we allow that while at the same time make sure that we're not going into disconnect and denial? Uh, growing up in uh, with a very religious parent and, and being exposed to what uh, extreme religion looks like, or in, 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 in my opinion, it's kind of any organized religion, there's certain belief systems that are in place. And my association with that was that if I believe and connect into a source greater than myself, then I will go into denial and disconnect. Now, this same thing was happening in the yoga community, although I didn't have a term for it at the time. I didn't know the term. Now I know that this is called the spiritual bypass. What a spiritual bypass means is that you use spiritual practices and belief systems to avoid those painful feelings and unresolved wounds and developmental needs. So how do we avoid falling into this trap if we're seeking the spiritual solution and spiritual journey, yet still need to integrate and heal those deep wounds because they don't heal just because we bring in God, we still have to do the other work around it. Today, I'm interviewing a yoga teacher named Raquel. When I first took her class, I immediately bonded with and connected with her yogic style. She is focused much more on integrating healing postures and connecting to the body and making sure that we're connecting to what we're feeling and what's happening versus getting the workout in or using spiritual language to kind of um, uh, check out of our bodies, if you will. Now, Raquel is absolutely gorgeous. She is what you would picture a yoga teacher to look like. Her hair is extremely long and thick and curly, and she makes absolutely no effort to control it whatsoever. I love this about her. It's beautiful, beautiful hair, and she just lets it be wild and free and untamed and seems to embrace the beauty of it without the vanity of attachment to it. Now, I think this describes Raquel's personality to a T, and here's my conversation with her. So Raquel, I wanted to get a sense of where you're currently at, because when you walked in here, you kind of mentioned some stuff was coming up for you, and I was really blown away by your willingness to just be completely vulnerable with me from the get-go. 
So maybe if you could just recap a little bit um, about where you're at. I've had, I've come, I've come head to head with myself at this point in my life. And I, it happens from time to time and different people bring out different things, but this particular mirror is of a different frequency for me. It actually has taken me even more into like deeper subconscious layers of my own mind, my belief systems, um, my fears. Yeah. And I'm watching myself wanting, getting very skittish and wanting to keep moving and wanting to do things to distract myself uh, because the process itself is excruciating <laughs> to sit yeah. with. Yeah, it's so, <laughs> it's so hard to sit with discomfort. Mm-hmm. So I love that you're even being honest about all of this stuff because you're a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've been polarized from the yoga community um, prior is that there's a lot of like, I call it like, it's a disconnection or spiritual bypass, if you will, mm-hmm. where everything's fine, I'm so positive and happy and like I'm letting it love and light, love and light. And many teachers are not grounded in all the other stuff, which is a part of reality and important Mm-hmm. And so it just made me just kind of shun a lot of the yoga community because that doesn't speak to me at all. Mm-hmm. And so hearing you be honest about, you know, your own humanity yeah, um, is, is so valuable, right? Like that to me is authenticity and a teacher. And I think that's why many people who've even said, like, I don't like yoga, it's like that's maybe what they're feeling from the teacher is that inauthenticity. Or some people are very drawn to you know, the emotional spiritual bypass, because you said, like you said, it's very uncomfortable to deal with. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to, so, so it's easier to just jump out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so how did you start your yoga journey? Um, my vocal coach, when I was in college, I was going to a conservatory uh, for musical theater and I had a former opera singer, vocal teacher who was also a breast cancer survivor. And in her process of recovery during treatment, she was taking yoga classes and found on her mat the similarities between the diaphragmatic work and the pelvic floor work that she was doing on her mat in her body were the same things that she does to access her voice Mm. on stage, to be able to project stronger. If she's got to hit a higher note, She's got a, it's, it's ironic, you know, the polarities. If you want to go higher with a tone, you actually have to access it lower in your yeah. body. Yeah. So that was my introduction. And I think it's, it's symbolic in a lot of ways that she introduced yoga to me and encouraged me to practice yoga to find my voice. <laughs> actually, yoga was part of of the program at the school as uh-huh. well to access my voice so I was I was trying it then and I remember when I first I was 19 and I remember looking around the room going what are we doing like this is super sexual my ass is up in the air my head is down and um like number one reason why men take never one <laughs> yeah right <laughs> exactly and then uh, after a while, then my roommate was getting into it. And we started going at the gym. And I remember my first impression was understanding how similar it felt to martial arts. And I really liked the connection to 
the earth, sun salutations, moon salutations. It's honoring your environment. It's honoring nature. And that resonated with me as well. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't so it was still a physical journey for me for the first couple of years, just playing with it, getting to know it. And I guess I could just get into my life because the whole process of me becoming a yoga teacher was a long one. I was still an actress in New York at this point. I was no longer going to school, but I was working as an actress. And I was in a relationship with a man who was borderline. And I actually listened to your previous podcast about that Mm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was in a relationship with somebody who was for two and a half years. And that relationship took its toll on me in a lot of ways. Yeah. And when when we broke up, my career as an actress led me to L.A., so I came here because I had nothing to lose. We weren't together anymore. I was, I'm not married. I don't have kids. So I moved here. And I was, you know, it was a bold move because I only knew one person. And I hadn't fully wrapped my head around what I just went through in that relationship. And I guess that's also a classic bringing it back to the patterns of the work of sitting with yourself and being super uncomfortable so my vices were I went right after we broke up my reaction was like "Woo, I'm free like give me a shot and that dude that I was flirting with and that could never do anything about it let's do something about it now (laughs) you know and I was numbing myself in a lot of ways with cocaine and alcohol and pills and oh are you are you an ex-addict I'm not an addict it wasn't on that level but I was definitely hurting myself more then than I was any other time in my life because I was in so much pain that I would go out and I would entertain that drug more than I ever would before Yeah. yeah which is a fine line right of um using substance to emotionally cope versus actually being an official uh, substance addict. And then there's the whole thing, which I've never heard this terminology before, and it's always been more my story of process addiction, which is how we use food, uh, our jobs, uh, money, love, romance, sex, how we use all that stuff to emotionally cope. That's called process addiction stuff and I'd never heard that Mm. terminology before and I was like I love that because Mm -hmm. I actually think most people have some form of that but it's just to what degree Mm -hmm. and even it reminded me when you were talking about um, your ex being borderline people who have uh, borderline and people have OCD like all these kinds of stuff where there can be OCD isn't as much it's narcissism narcissism but not in the same way that borderline is right Mm -hmm. it's really all the same characteristics that active addicts have Mm -hmm. uh, as far as the emotional unavailability and the push-pull and the you know lack of intimacy or extreme narcissism to like pull somebody's uh, identity away kind of you know like this kind of thing Um, and then people because somehow there's this separation it's like there's not really that much support if you're in relationships with people like that and like for me that's actually how I discovered 
the 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 12-step rooms because I was dating an active addict but I didn't have anybody who was an addict in my family and then finally it was like okay and I just showed up in the rooms and I started crying and it still was never my story wasn't traditional but it was that being with somebody who was super narcissistic and selfish and all these kinds of things you know very wounded unhealed but the thing is is I'm the one that chose that person and I'm exactly. the one that chose to stay so why, why this is so a, so that's I mean I guess that's the beginning of the journey for me because that's what I had to confront myself with along the way and when we broke up I was 23 mm-hmm. and so it took me and it took me and that was my choice and I didn't I didn't see a therapist but it took me five years to really fully purge from that from all of the residue from that yeah I'm sure um, and I'm sure some of it can still even be with you now in a way you know it's like I don't think it's ever this you know there's always pieces which is okay it's human mm-hmm. you know? and I and I say five years because I wasn't sure until I saw him again after yeah. five years and I realized our our old dynamic didn't play out anymore oh, I watched yeah. that as he was starting to escalate in the past where he would full-on have a fit I was a different person and therefore the shape that we made or the dynamic mm-hmm. we made did not equate to that anymore. So he yes. knew he couldn't, he knew on some level he could not get away with that behavior. So he had to reel it in and deal with himself. He had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that's also very eye opening for me because I know that is technically a mental illness, yeah. but it is also a highly manipulative illness. Yeah. And yeah. I would witness the there was a level of control of when and where that outburst would happen so i just had a hit of something with what we were talking about before we started recording yeah and what you said just now and what i just said prior (laughs) which when i said about how things always stay with us a little bit i don't mean about the other person but residue of uh, the certain kind of pattern Mm -hmm. in relationships can still be there even though that person is gone Mm -hmm. or even you know the pain of of of, you know I mean not to underestimate any romance actually can can be very damaging or healing right earlier when you were mentioning that you had to return somebody's text message and you were feeling the urgency to complete it then Mm because he had kind of given you some timeline or whatever, I'm not really quite sure, but it reminded me of the same thing of, like you said, we turn the other person into whatever our pattern is, whether that person is or not. Like, right, it might be some them and some us and some old, and the filter that, that, that we have will always make that person fulfill whatever is happening, right? So. That person's just doing that action, but we view it in a certain way, and then it becomes the reality. And so the way you had explained it and the urgency that you felt, and I had mentioned, like, what if what if you just give it a second and you finish doing what you had to do, your responsibilities, we, we finish talking, then you respond, like, there's no hurry, which is usually to me, anytime I'm feeling urgency is a sign to sit back and not do whatever <laughs> I think I'm supposed to be doing. And like meditate, whatever you know, get centered, do what, do something else, get out of my head, get into my body, and it just reminded me of when you mentioned that relationship with the the borderline guy. In essence, there's something in you that kind of um, allows those boundaries, like you allow your own boundaries to uh, dissolve a little around other people, and then that makes sense of why you mentioned 
you kind of push back immediately because if you're walking in, you probably walk in with your boundaries so weak that it's just like medium match, just like mm -hmm. they fall. And then of course that makes you angry because that doesn't feel right. And then you end up in the backlash. That's correct. Well, relationships. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> I am very good at this stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, so, okay. This kind of leads me to part of the same question. And and also just a side note too, mm -hmm. an interesting conversation I was having with my sister earlier. She's talking about the people you attract in your life and how they reflect back to you in a lot of ways, your own characteristics and the very things that might annoy you about that person are traits you have and possess yourself. And oh, yeah. so I think about the you know, the people that I've been attracting into my life. And then I see how I behave the same way with the next person I'm with. Yeah. That I'm actually that person. Yeah. So that's very interesting too. It's so interesting because, <laughs> and that, that, it's hard to see exactly, right? Because if you're with somebody who's out, outwardly very narcissistic and you're on the other side feeling like you're a pawn in that person's game, but at the same time, you have the narcissism, it just looks different mm -hmm. because it might be in the self-pity routine, for example, which is also a form of narcissism mm -hmm. or obsession and self-obsession in some way that maybe is always obsessed with other people even, mm -hmm. that's still narcissistic because it's kind of jump, it's, it's, it's everything is to manipulate your own feelings, your own self. It's all, it just looks, it looks different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, with that, with the, with that relationship that I was in for two and a half years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't say that my behavior was particularly, but I, I did, I basically had adapted to his behavior in a lot of ways where I wasn't, I had lost my own sense of self-regulation because yeah. of the fact that I was with somebody else who was mirroring back to me when something happens out of my favor to blow up, to react. I, I was on a, on a, you know, a more reactive frequency on my thermostat. I would never, before I dated this person, if something went wrong, scream at the top of my lungs and throw a fit or throw something or blah, 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 blah. And then you started After doing two that? and a half years of dating him, I, I saw myself enact or react in ways that I learned from him. <laughs> so interesting that you allowed yourself to, which I've also done, mm -hmm. right? But that allowing yourself to kind of get lost in another person and take on their characteristics. Yeah. You know, versus being yourself. It's that boundary thing all over again. It's so much that. And I also think it's almost, it's almost an, it's inevitable when you're yeah. spending that much time with somebody and you're sharing a body with somebody. And I do believe in the intertwined interconnection of, of invisible cords and mm -hmm. energy being exchanged. That person is somebody I was intimate with for, you know, two and a half yeah. years. And he was the only person yeah. I shared my body with. And so of course there on some level, he was all, he was very much living inside of me. Well, that's what you know I'm what saying I mean? that even some of that energy is going to yeah. probably stay with you. And then when people do the whole discounting of their childhood, I'm like, how can you, I, how can you possibly be that disconnected to 18 years? Yes. You know, it, with with parental figures of whatever that looks like. 
how would you possibly think that doesn't affect your every action? Like Mm -hmm. from being birthed from the womb when as a child, you psychoanalytically speaking, you have no boundaries. Children are sponges. So whatever parents are feeling or not or not feeling is projected onto the child. Mm -hmm. And that's how the child learns to walk through the world, walk through, you know, seeing the filter of how they're viewing the world is is through that relation. Mm-hmm. And if you were given some kind of um, unhealthy messaging in some way, like, of course, that's going to be the foundation of how you set up and, and seek out romantic partners or friendships or whatever. It's all, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like, it's just a textbook, you know? And so then to, to, to learn to be able to decipher what's that old voice, the parental voice, and what's your authentic voice, like, I mean, that takes a lot of years going back to that you know and I think you know in our 20s all we're doing is reacting to everything that happened when we were younger like you know I do see more consciousness with the younger generation which for me always blows my mind like I have friends who are 26 and they you know they say something I'm like if I knew that at your age, I would just be so much further along. Like, I just figured that out last year. <laughs> or they forget like, when they're 30 and then have to relearn it again. That's what I wonder. It's like maybe you're still a baby in so many ways, but yeah. you know, are you really applying it? Because having yeah. the consciousness around it, which to me doesn't start at least until you're in your 30s, yeah. to be able to decipher and separate and, and live in a consciously choose a different way of acting. I mean, that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So, okay, wait. So this was my other question for yeah. you. Why do you think so many actors become yoga teachers? Um, I I think I think it's a combination of things. I think the root of theater and performance art that includes music, dance, and enacting a story has its roots in medicine. Yeah. You know, um, shamanism is very much in the process. A shaman will take you into something. You are in a trance and you're experiencing fully, you know, visions and archetypes. You might be convulsing. You're using your body in a lot of ways. And you're using your voice to communicate and to lead people. And in a lot of ways, you're expression in your face to convey mm-hmm. stuff so I it does make sense to me that an actor would get comfortable with it now why their deep down intention is to become a yoga teacher could be very different for some you might get that sim- similar high or validation from a group of people watching you quote unquote perform yeah and there's that yeah. too of teachers being up in the room and getting to say what they want to say and do their spiel and everybody's watching them and everybody's applauding whatever they however they go down you know they do what they do uh but the i do think a lot of performance art has its roots in in healing um I mentioned this, I've mentioned this book before, it's called When the Body Says No by Dr. Gabor Mate, and he Mm -hmm. talks about how any, any form of art is only an expression of a connection to wounds or whatever, it won't really heal unless you process, and he says that the expression of art is not processing our wounds, and so that that's why it brings me back to what I was speaking with you about the beginning at the beginning of this of 
you admitting your humanity and doing your own work along the side. Why, you know, it's not like we just do this one thing and, you know, all done. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's constant. So, okay, so you were drinking, drugging, blah, 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 going crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and what, like what you just said, I was, it was probably one of the highest points in my career. I was working a lot and mm-hmm, the work mm-hmm. that I was doing was um, some of the best work I've ever done. And it's ironic that I was in this yeah. super toxic relationship and it was really unhealthy and I was able to channel all of that pain into characters that I played. And the characters yeah. I was playing were like heroin addict. I mean, it was like heavy yeah. shit. And so, you know, that, but then, but then I moved to LA and I didn't know anyone and I didn't know where to get any substance or drugs because I didn't know anyone. So I couldn't <laughs> distract myself with that. Uh-huh. And I couldn't distract myself with my friends going out and in a lot of ways, I think I experienced culture shock here after yeah. living in Manhattan Yeah, on many levels on the way people relate, aesthetically, everything. And I had a lot of judgments around it. My own perception was very much clouded because I was in a shitty way with myself. Yeah. I was, I did not realize how depressed I was yeah. and how... Uh, I just had like a dark cloud over me and I was judging LA comparing it to New York and being kind of stuck up about it yeah yeah of this place you know just kind of like meh you know Except now LA is the new New York because I don't I don't feel that way anymore Mm -hmm. but that was my but that is just showing you that my adi- I had a shitty attitude and I was stuck in an old way of thinking and I was trying to compare an apple to an orange. Yeah. And I was also holding, I could feel myself holding on for dear life to an identity, which was the idea that I have of myself as a New Yorker, super cutting edge, cutthroat, don't have time yeah. to yeah. bullshit talk. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to stay in. And so I was holding on to that in an yeah. environment where that wasn't relevant. Yeah. And that caused a lot of pain for me too. Caused a lot of pain for, of holding on. So in this whole process, I, basic, I think those years of my life were some of the darkest years of my life. And they were actually what have informed me on how I help others or how I lead a class the insights that I've been led to, I I couldn't have gotten if I didn't go there. Yeah. I yeah. think in a lot of ways. And so what ha- I was isolated. So what happened was I moved to LA. I know one person. I'm super isolated. I don't have ways to entertain or distract myself. At some point, I came to the realization that I had hit a rock, rock bottom, that I was spiritually bankrupt at 25 and I'm watching my behaviors with sex and being really masochistic with my choices on who I share myself with and and I had to just sit with myself and go okay my arms are up now what do I have I feel like everything around me has crumbled what is what stays like what stays when everything else falls apart 
And the only thing that stays that I came to terms with was my, my soul, my spirit, my connection to spirit. And I, and I had let that part of me recede or atrophy. And, and so I, I basically call it like my spiritual bankrupt moment. And I kind of, I got on my knees and I basically realized this is a part of me that I want to start to nurture and grow. And after I came to that realization, then I started making it a priority every full moon to sit in front of the full moon and meditate. And my, my first journey into my spirituality again came in the form of, of, um, well, it has a lot of triggering associations, but Wiccan, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and shamanism, a lot of plant medicine came into it and a lot of connecting with the natural world was Mm -hmm. my doorway into, um, finding myself again and strengthening my spirituality wait so when you say plant medicine were you doing ayahuasca and it wasn't a, no and it wasn't at that point no I say plant medicine as in I started studying actual medicinal plants and I wanted to spend three or four hours hiking mm-hmm. and study mm-hmm. trees and birds and plants and sit with them Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do. And if a medicine man came at that point in my life, I might have just left everything. I was ready to let left leave everything here and go. Mm. But I was still holding on a little bit to my old identity yeah. in a lot of ways. And yeah. so I, I teeter-tottered for many, many years yeah. with all of that. But it just I just kept going. I kept exploring, kept exploring, started changing my diet, changing my choices. And then I started meditating and like, I started going on these hikes. My girlfriend introduced me to meditation from her Buddhist lineage, the Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. Mm-hmm. That was my introduction to meditation. Mm-hmm. And I started chanting. When I started meditating, that that was the game changer for me. Yeah. Because all of this all of this stuff started unfolding over time, revealing itself to me and I was being shown how to how to do it. Mm-hmm. How to how to deal with all this stuff, and I remember, I went and I saw, and I was in the middle of all this stuff, and I went and I saw a card reader, uh-huh. and she, she, flipped all the cards on the deck, and the whole table had swords everywhere, and mm-hmm. swords are all about cutting stuff off that isn't working anymore, of boundaries, of discernment, and she was like, "Wow, you're, you're removing a lot of skeletons." From your closet and at the time when she said that I was thinking I don't have any skeletons in my closet what yeah. you see is what you get with me well I mean the power of denial is so <laughs> huge know. that's I why know. it's called the power of denial if I we know. knew we were in denial <laughs> we wouldn't be in denial <laughs> I know like what skeletons do I have so I'm, I'm curious what did you grow up in a really happy family or what your parents were together they were emotionally supported what what did that look like for you I had a, I have a lot of love mm-hmm. in my family, but I also grew up in a home with a lot of drama and a lot of also pain. When I I'm the oldest in my family, and when my when I was four, my sister we were like four and five. Um, my parents separated, but 
before they even separated, I remember as little kids, they would argue around us. And I don't remember much about the separation, but I do know that it lasted for a very long time. And I do remember their divorce process lasted for almost three years. And they were there were custody battles with my sister and I. Mm-hmm. So a big part of my childhood, my parents were young when they had us. And they were trying to figure it out, but they were they're both highly reactive. Communication is neither one of their strengths. Yeah. And they're both really stubborn. You know, <laughs> so. going back to the acting thing, uh-huh. what I see in a lot of actors is that desire to be seen. And in some way, you know, I think m- many actors, and certainly not all of them, um, but a lot of them, uh, felt invisible or feel invisible in some way and it's some way to you know feel validated it's just seen by others mm-hmm. and oftentimes I think I think the reason why it ends up so unhealthy is because when you're not seen as a kid and then when you're seen it's in usually an unhealthy dynamic like you mentioned there was a lot of fighting and stuff like that so like that's what you're going to end up reenacting mm-hmm. and refulfilling and like I'll see it for myself, like the relationships that I've been drawn to most are people that I feel the most seen have oftentimes been really unhealthy for me. But that was my dynamic kind of growing up of like the heightened drama or whatever. So in, in essence, it feels like the most validating because it's like that like from a primal place of what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And then all you do is reenact that same. I think I actually had, it had the reversed effect on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, as a kid too, I've always been I've always been inclined to do theater. There's certain things about me that I just know were there. I, even yeah. the healer in me. Yeah. I think the reason why I attracted somebody who was borderline was because the healer in me was attracted to someone to be wounded. Yeah. And at a young age, I thought I could love. I mean, being naive, love heals everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can conquer all things, and. That was my prerequisite as a healer before actually becoming one. I, I realized that I cannot help someone who is not willing to help themselves and I need to make sure that I protect and take care of myself first. Otherwise, shit is going down. You know, yeah. We're going yeah. down in flames. But I, I remember my earliest memories in preschool, like three or four, when I was at school, I would run to the toy box when it was time to play and I would grab the puppet rack and then I would go hide in a corner and I would do a puppet show by myself. I've always been kind of loner kid in the way that I like to play because I would love to drop into my imagination and carry on a whole storyline and enact the whole thing and I wanted to yeah. play every part yeah. and that was something I've always I always did as a kid. Um, it's funny because in, in some ways that feels... I see the same parallel with the yoga because there's <laughs> a connection you're having with other people, uh-huh. but there's also distance. Like uh-huh. you're the teacher, you're you're yes. separate from the group in in a way. Like you're kind of you create the whole storyline, the whole thing, and there is a there is. I mean, uh-huh. you're not you're you're helping guide the class, and you're part of it, but you're not part of it. It's like that you know a little bit. Separ- in 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 essence, it's that same kind of. Totally, yeah. and you're a lone wolf in a lot of ways because you're going to different studios exactly. and you're hanging That's out with different thinking. people, yeah. and bouncing to it's meeting. it's kind yeah. of perfect for the personality blueprint that I I actually am that I yeah. I do like about myself. I do honor my solitude 
but I also like being around people. So it's kind of the best of both worlds for me. Well, so now I'm curious of how you think that do you, and if you think that same dynamic plays out in your relationships. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm a yeah. super conflicted person. Yeah. Because on one end, I want more than anything, I want partnership. But then on the other hand, there's a very, 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 very deep-seated level fear of commitment. Oh, me too. All of losing yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Losing that independence. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Freedom. And yeah. so, yeah, that's there. Yeah. Um. But, but kind of coming back to my, my childhood, I, I had so much drama going growing up that when I moved away from home that and that was just like the last thing I wanted and not you know everybody reacts that way but that's I'm turned I oftentimes turned off by drama especially at a drama school but then that's exactly what you set out in relationship when I what you mean oh with with that person Mm -hmm. so and for sure and that's something that I yeah that's something that I came to in the process of my meditations of really sitting with why I allowed that to happen um that was part of my work and and that was one of my realizations I came to that I was more comfortable in that drama yeah but we resist persists yeah more comfortable yeah go ahead sorry yeah no no no. it's okay I yeah more comfortable in that drama and playing the role of being the pacifier or the peacemaker or the person who is regulating everything and that's what I've done my whole life and that's what I was doing in that relationship oh so then that makes sense even now with the text is if you're the peacemaker or the fixer right and even your job you're fixing and so if you're in your own body which might create conflict, right? Like if you're doing what's best for you, which is maybe not giving that person the response that they want to hear, but you're doing you, they, that person might be upset. So I imagine it's in essence violating to your identity. Correct. And so then, I mean, to me, I'm like, it always goes back to the childhood. It does kind of seem to, like, because if, if that's the role even that you had in your family of the pacifier, or even if it wasn't, um, even if it wasn't your role at that time, if there, there was some part of you that, like you said, took on that identity later on, and, and then like that's what, you know, in essence, you have this whole being threatened of like, oh, you're gonna come to the table and fix it and make it better, and that's all control, you know? But, and, and so, so this is what, sorry, I, I got a little- um, And the protector, big time, I'm a big time protector. Yeah, you probably so deeply desire to be protected, huh? but then can you allow it in? That's my work, <laughs> to let go of control yeah, and to allow that to happen. Yeah, that is my work. And so, so, so what I was gonna say was, is that I think it's really important to honor, like I had heard something recently where somebody was talking about how through them drawing their own boundaries, like they had the awareness that they could no longer fix the childhood, like fix the drama in the family, even though they weren't trying to fix it consciously at mm-hmm. the time. And I heard that and I was like, wait, what? I, I think that's me, even though like I was the truth seeker in my family, like definitely there was more chaos even created by the way I would react. It wasn't like I was the pacifier then, mm-hmm. but also in my relationships, my role was to play out the pacifier. and. It was like really because it's it's to me it's like oh if I get it all right it can be in control and everything's like 
wrapped up in a neat little bowl, uh, like a neat little package with the bow on top, you know, and to honor that, like I couldn't fix anything and also shouldn't have fixed anything, didn't have to fix anything. It all just was what it was like, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the opportunity. So in high school, I think all the way up until I was about 16 or 17, it was all coming to a head and my home life was still in turmoil and I was still trying to manage everything and protect and all of that stuff. My mother and her current relationship and then my, I had a dream. I was very upset and it was stressing me out a lot and then I had a dream and the dream came in and it literally was saying to me, this is not yours. This is not yours. Oh, and I this person, that, you know, you're getting all wrapped up in this and all involved. And why? Because it's just going to keep being the same pattern. You yeah, cannot yeah. fix yeah. this. Yeah. And that came in. And then I realized how much of myself I was giving to a problem that wasn't even mine. And yeah. much less wasn't even mine to do because I was the child you know I was exactly. the child I shouldn't have had that on me and um and then I moved when I moved away from home after high school in New York that was another big eye-opener for me because physically removing myself from my family and being so far away from them I hadn't I didn't realize how much of my identity was being projected onto me and how much responsibility was on my shoulders and how much I was caring for other people, all of my siblings that were younger than me, worrying about them and taking care of them. And then all of a sudden I move away from home and I have no one to worry about but myself. That was a big eye-opener for me. And then, yeah. And then I had this relationship that was still, you know, maybe a, it was a lot of, I'm sure a lot of things, like a little bit of a, a residue from that, but also, I, I, I think on some level I found it uh, intriguing because mm-hmm. I had never experienced, I had never witnessed that kind of behavior out of a human before. I hadn't, I don't have anybody in my family that suffers from mental illness. Yeah. And I, and in your early twenties, I think part of your journey is to make mistakes and test your boundaries and all of that stuff. And I met him, and, and usually people who have that are very charismatic and, mag- oh, yeah. and they can magnetize you yeah, in. 100%, and I was yeah. still super romantic about life, and everything was like rosy-colored lenses. And my mantra was like, love cures yeah. it all, conquers everything. So, I, yeah, I think that that was a natural process. But I do I remember being horrified when I would first see the outbursts and also almost hypnotized or intrigued like whoa seeing the complexities of the human psyche and firsthand I'd never seen someone deface themselves like that in front of another person before oh maybe you took off his took on his uh qualities to um allow yourself to show your dark side if you were the pacifier yeah yeah totally yeah totally and as an artist too, yeah. I'm sure that was very stimulating for me to, to be, to witness that mm. out of a human. He pulled so many levels of, of depth and color because he was so extreme. Yeah. yeah. 
that that I think we can all have the potential to feel and yeah. I and I had access to that um so yeah and you know and through that journey and it was a long one but that but that was the what kind of set me into the depths of myself and then how I got out of it was my journey with my spirituality and so okay so you were doing a lot of meditation and uh reconnecting with nature and then I did that card reading the card reading Uh and I just spirit was starting to speak to me and through me through my meditations and it was telling me you have a whole other side of yourself that you're not exploring yeah you you're a healer but you don't know how you're going to do it I didn't know how I was going to do it yet and I went to this card reading and then I saw a flyer for Reiki certification and I just decided that day that I was going to start to walk towards that path and the minute I decided that I I completely broke down emotionally and drove my car up to Griffith Park at the very top and sat by a tree and started crying and then it started pouring rain mirroring my emotions Mm. and then I looked up at the sky and after it rained the sky parted and a big rainbow came shooting down and I just took it as an omen yeah. that I was supposed to keep doing this work yeah. and after and so this was the same day that I had the reading of the skeleton and I'm in denial about the skeleton so mm-hmm. a- after that was a huge day for me of seeing the, the mirror I'll never forget that I lit I, th- I was closing my eyes I was crying I was meditating I was praying mm-hmm. and I and I literally asked God to show me a sign that I was doing the right thing. Yeah. And I opened my eyes and I saw a rainbow. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, that. okay, I, love that. <laughs> I will never forget this. And, um, and then I went home and before I went to bed, I, in my meditation, I asked, show me, show me one of my skeletons is mm-hmm. what I did. I set that intention before I went to bed in my meditation and went, I went to sleep. I had a dream. And so my whole, my whole journey, my whole process, I have a very strong connection to my dreamscape, mm-hmm. and a lot of, a lot of my intuition comes through my dreams. Mm-hmm. And I had a, the brilliancy of this, the gift of this, is that I had a dream that took me slightly out of it, or I was slightly removed, so I was a third party. Okay. It gave me space, and it gave me perspective, so that I could see things clearly. If I had a dream where it was happening directly to me, it might have been, it, or it maybe if, if the dream was way too real, it was mm-hmm. something that I actually have going on in my real life, then maybe I would trick myself or, or deny it still. Yeah. But in this case, there were some details slightly skewed, uh-huh. but the um, the feeling, the deep down feeling, was still there that I was currently experiencing, and and. I don't necessarily need to go into too many details about it, but one of my skeletons were that I was carrying on, I was entertaining a romantic relationship with somebody who was in a relationship. Hmm. And I was in denial about how fucked up that was. You know, I would see that person. And so I had a dream that I I was her friend. And there was, it, I, in the dream, I was very close to her. We were friends. Mm. 
and it made it more personal versus me knowing of her and yeah. her not yeah. me not knowing her and then there was a lot of in the dream I was getting caught and I was shamed mm. and at first I didn't put two and two together about that dream but I knew it was super loaded and I woke up and I, I wrote it down and I started talking about it and then it dawned on me that dream was pointing me to the current and it wasn't like I was seeing that person all the time but occasionally when I would see that person we would have fun and I would be in total denial about their commitment to somebody else oh, so, so interesting. Yeah. I woke yeah. up and I was like oh that I need to clean that up about myself I can't be I cannot be entertaining that person. That girl could be one of my friends. Well, like, I kind of yeah. just was like, what if that girl was one of my really good yeah, friends? That's yeah. so fucked up, you know? And that changed mm-hmm. that for me. Because it's, it's all, like, I think it all, it goes back <laughs> to emotional disconnect, right? And it's, it's interesting how we can be so connected over here and this one, this way and connected over here and then in complete disconnect about something else that's happening. Like that's happened to me recently where I thought, you know, I mean, so many people, if they talk to me, they'd be like, you're so connected. And I had this huge revelation. I'm doing this um, reset for my body, like dietary speaking, but it also goes into the mind and meditation and how like our foods can affect our ways of thinking and and you journal every day. And like, I mean, the first two weeks of it have nothing to do with the food. You're not even like dealing with it at all, which I love. Mm. And I've, I've been on a journey of getting to know my body for years and talking to my body like I talk to my ovaries I talk to my stomach like I you know um and yet there's still been this disconnect and and doing this process has brought up how much I've been detached from my body in certain ways that I'm like how like like mind-blowing how did I not see that I've like kind of uh, dissociated from myself you know and not felt whatever emotions were behind the dissociation because there's always emotion behind it so Anyway, the, the, the reason I said that right now is when you were talking about this, this girl and the disconnect, you, you, you weren't feeling what was happening for that other person. It was like the, the shutdown of emotion of connecting to another human for you. In this case, it was a woman, which makes me think about mother wound stuff, right? Because our, our setup for relationships with women are based on our relationship with our mother, mm-hmm. you know, our, our relationships with our mothers. Um, and like, you know, perhaps distrust or disconnection or whatever and how that feeds in. So what do you do now for your own healing? Like what is your, your, your therapeutic method look like? Last night I, um, I wrote poetry last night. I, it didn't, I guess I set, I set out the intention of writing poetry, but I opened my little laptop and I started free writing and I'm about to do a retreat and part of the process in the retreat is going to be question-led journaling Mm -hmm. and so I I sit with questions that get me to start to think about things or stir the pot a little bit and last night I'm I went I took myself on a date last night that can be healing for me yeah there's so many things that are healing sitting by the beach yeah going hiking taking a day trip somewhere and being um, anonymous like that's yeah. healing for me but um, dancing can be healing meditation is healing but for particularly for this time in my life uh-huh. writing has been really healing yeah. free writing so I, I I last night was just kind of started going and just letting it flow letting it flow 
and at some point stuff came out that I didn't even realize was there yeah. and I found myself bawling while I'm writing mm, and that yeah. was really healing for me and then to reread what I wrote mm. to myself was is very healing do you ever do the exercise where you write with your non-dominant hand yeah sometimes I love that's that. fun that's really it, fun yeah it's supposed to get you in touch with your yeah your child but sometimes it's hard because you're doing the, the although, writing and <laughs> although I feel like I'm pretty good at it because I'm left-handed, but it's legible when I write right-handed. Mm-hmm. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not too off. I just have to write slower. But it does feel like a little. That's kid. the frustrating part. Where yeah. my thought is going faster than what I'm able to write. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun though. Yeah. Um, friends, this is also very healing. Connecting with people in a real way, having these kinds of conversations. Can be really is really healing yeah yeah well this that in essence was um my whole reasoning for the podcast was just you know what's behind like forget about the surface level conversation like that's fine but what's behind and i think that's what we're all really craving is connection right mm-hmm. and in western again gabor mate he talks about how like western culture is set up for spiritual illness and, and in my experience, I think to a certain level, it certainly has been, you know, and that's why we're all running around imbalanced, you know. Yes, yeah. and it's amplified I, in a lot of ways with social media. Oh, yeah, definitely amplified. Wanting yeah. to yeah. show only the best. And, and uh, I have a really good girlfriend of mine who's experienced a lot of sexual trauma and uh, she's a survivor in many ways, a warrior woman. I would consider her and a wise woman. And whenever I speak with her, I'm always inspired. And what she was saying to me, because she's in, she's in the thick of it right now, really. She's got a lot of dragons, more than I would ever wish on anyone. And she was expressing to me her frustration with and it made me have to look at myself too. I, I post inspiring things, but it is important as a as a yoga teacher or leader, or if you're going to be that, play that role or symbol in your in your group or your society, to let everyone know this shit gets messy. It's yeah. not pretty always. Yeah. It's not always pretty. You don't get instant gratification. And that's what she was saying a lot of the times you'll see on social media a lot of these like really well-known yoga teachers have a lot of followers Mm -hmm. are making it glamorous i can think of a few and glorifying it like everything is just so fucking perfect and then that makes her literally selling a fantasy yeah and then that makes her think she's fucked up as she goes through this shit and i'm telling her oh you you know you you fucking slashed his tires and you went to jail okay it's all right (laughs) it's it's all right that's part of the process like who was the it's nasty nasty out there what was the name of you remember that girl band where one of the girls was it was it left eye that like oh yeah left eye that's what i thought i was she set her boyfriend's house on fire she's my hero seriously that's funny wow that's literally you know that hat that does happen but the cool thing is she's able to look at it and she wants to talk about it 
and she's like hey i have my moments these are my moments but i but i i told her it's how quickly can you rebound how quickly can you rebound and catch it but yeah it's she's i want to share more of what she's doing and i she's inspired me to get a lot more frank with my own you know, my, with my own stuff. After I had my conversation with her, I taught a yoga class, and that's something that I had, I mentioned in the class, that this whole process, yeah. it can get ugly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we got to be all right with that. And, and my writing last night, I'm sitting here, and I'm bawling, and I'm crying, and I'm realizing uh, so much of the you know that that pain is there whether you whether you see it or look at it or address it or acknowledge it or not it's there yeah and I want to feel whole and I want to feel complete and if I want to feel whole and complete I have to leave room for all of it yeah well and the only I mean Eckhart Tolle talks about I forget what he said exactly but what I took from one of the things he had said was about how in essence, you know, the pain is in the re- resistance. Once you surrender to the pain, it actually feels quite serene and kind of relaxing. Yes, still painful, but the torture, excuse me, the torture is in the resistance. Mm-hmm. But once you actually surrender to it, it's, it's, near, it's not nearly as bad mm-hmm. as, you know, what you were perceiving it to be beforehand is, is my experience. Yeah, and I've, because I've been this in this particular the past few months I've been cracked open yeah and I've it almost feels like the pain itself is the knife cutting you open and it hurts but when you allow it to happen you don't quickly recoil up or try to close it up yeah because it hurts if you let it open up part of that process is some of that stench to release yeah and then after that releases, there is a clearing. There is something happening that's so profound, and you're you feel more expansive. You feel almost like euphoria a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Of of knowing it's all there all yeah. the time, but I don't want to close myself off. So that's why I'm sitting with a lot of my own pain and uncomfortability and celebrating it in the way that I can and being and continuing to practice vulnerability and this is part of that too just being super vulnerable with people and I'm enjoying it actually I as much as it can be uncomfortable I feel more alive than I have in a long time yeah in being vulnerable thing you know colors are brighter I feel I feel more with people things move through me easier I cry sometimes about things that maybe I wouldn't cry about before, but it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I had this thought that um, that you you teach yoga because it heals you. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it heals, and yes, it heals other people, but you're the one who gets the healing and others. It extends. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was I was inspired to share yoga and this healing process with others because of the tools it gave me to work through my stuff and um, so grateful that I chose this path because this path um, gives me a, a better quality of life and the minute I chose this path 
all of my lessons were presenting themselves to me. It was kind of like, oh, okay, you want to you wanna do this? You want to step on this path? Well, here you go. And then all of the lessons come out and I have the opportunity to walk the walk before I talk the talk. Or if I'm going to talk the talk, inevitably, if I'm sharing a teaching in my class, you better believe that it's going to show up in my own life. And then I have a choice. Am I going to... Am I going to back up my words? How much do I actually believe what I am saying? And if I believe it, then I should put that to practice. Yeah. And so that, that is very appealing to me, that I, I'm one with what I say and what I do. And the, that I'm very much the student, even more so. I'm first the student. Yeah. And yeah. then will certainly and hopefully get to inspire other people to get in there and be the student and then eventually everyone's a teacher yeah the the humble viewpoint which to me is the the right size viewpoint of uh you know versus i'm the teacher you're the student do you know what i mean it's like yeah you're learning you're learning thank you so much i loved raquel's complete transparency about who she is Although she's a teacher, she didn't pretend to know it all, and she came to me with such grace and humility. She is a wonderful example of when you can recognize your dark side, and you choose not to run from it, but instead to pour your heart and soul into healing it, you reap the rewards. Now, she has training in uh, trauma therapy via yoga, as well as therapeutics and restorative yoga, and you can look her up at RaquelJordanYoga.com. I'm Jacqueline, the Herapist. Thanks for listening.